Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. With me returning as your host, I am Dags and I'm joined this week by Socrates and Dave. Unfortunately, much like Spurs, we seem to be unable to get the whole team together for a single episode at the moment. We are missing Elio this week now that I'm finally back from holiday, but I'm sure he'll be back soon enough and we should be more than well stocked, just like the depleted Spurs side at the weekend, to get the job done. Uh, Guys, welcome back. Socks, how is your Spurs mental health at the moment? Are you enjoying being a Spurs fan? Did you enjoy what you've just seen? Yeah, all over the place, a bit like the last kind of couple of games, to be honest. So I was sort of grateful in hindsight that we had a game so quickly after the West Ham one. But I said to you just before we started recording that it really felt like we needed that, not in terms of like the safety of the long-term project, because that's completely secure, but just in terms of our own, like you said, mental health in the short term. We were really due a win with the performances, and this was basically against Newcastle. What would have happened had we taken our chances versus Villa? So it really yeah. felt like you could smell it coming in the last few weeks, like somebody was going to get an absolute pasting and it should have been like six, but whatever, we'll take the four, some sort of mini revenge for the six one, and then we'll take our three points and put an end to this crappy period we've been on. You know what? I was thinking about you a lot in the run up to this game, Sauce, and uh, not, oh, not in a weird you. way or anything. Yeah, not, not, yeah, not, oh. not anything creepy, but in the sense <laughs> now that you your words were in my mind and uh, I was comparing <laughs> and contrasting my feelings in the build up to the Chelsea game, for example, and this one in the, in the Chelsea game, it felt like so much was riding on it. I was like, we have to get the result here. We have to win. Whereas in the beginning of this game, I was like, I'd love a win. It'd be great if we play well, but I just want to see some more of us playing the way we can. And, you know, I didn't even care about the result. Obviously, once we went 4-0 up, I was loving it, but it was strange. You've, you've got in my head, socks, and now I'm thinking about next season and I'm not too fussed <laughs> about the league table. Speaking of league tables, Dave, I see you're right up there. I see Leeds are doing all right. You've just had a win. Elio, take that. I've done my research. I've looked into Leeds and I'm setting Dave up to talk about it. Welcome back. How are you doing? Just had a win. We've, we've won 11 of the last 13 games, Dave. <sighs> But, you know. but thanks for catching up. That's all right. <laughs> We're over two points a game at the moment, but unfortunately Leicester and Ipswich just will not grow up and start losing a few games. So they are... Who do they think they are? They're fairly clear. It's, it's actually... Yeah. I saw a chat, because I'm assuming you want to talk about the championship for a while, so I'm going to go. I'd love to, um, yeah. I saw a bit of a chat of best ever starts after 20 games by anyone ever in the championship. And first is Leicester from this season and second is Ipswich from this season. And then there's like a three-point <laughs> gap to the next best ever start. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's good, isn't it? Leeds have decided to get their act together just yeah. the season that everybody else decides to be incredible. At what point is a start no longer a start? Because 20 games in, I'm sorry, we can't be using the word start. <laughs> There's got to be some sort of best ever middle or something. You, you misunderstand how big the championship is. So it never <laughs> yeah, ends. It's, yeah. a, it's an 85 game season. 20 games is two weeks, isn't it? I think. Yeah, we, we, not, we are not, really started in November. Yeah, not as much different for Spurs at the moment, who of course have seven games in December. The only team I think who have more and more injuries for that matter are Newcastle, who we've just played. And today we are going to talk about a couple of games. We're going to talk about West Ham game, but I think it's probably safe to say we're going to fleet over that one pretty quickly and then probably move on to what we all want to hear about, which is the 4-1 win against Newcastle, which is a result that I don't think many people expected, uh, at least of all me. Can't wait to get into that one. We've gone from a pretty appalling run of results, if not performances, to arguably, and Sox, tell me if you would agree, our best performance of the season so far. Yeah, maybe. I mean, like I said before, I thought we did this versus Villa. I guess this was just us taking our chances. I thought it was a bit less frantic, actually. We exercised a bit more control. We were attacking without... I was worried after Villa that we looked like we kind of run out of steam. It, It was as if the strategy was try and win the game within 30 minutes. 
And if we don't do that, then we're completely gassed because we had nothing in the second half. This one, I guess I would agree with you because it was a more sustained performance outside of a, what, 10 minute spell at the beginning of the second half, maybe 15 minutes. Yeah. We were in control of that home game. And I know there are also like Newcastle have had a hell of a lot of fixtures and they are way more decimated than we are with injuries. They're not able to rotate. So there was a lot of talk on the commentary about how leggy they looked. And I'm sure that was a factor in there as well. But who cares? I mean, you're there to sort of take advantage of that and take advantage of that we did. So it was nice, yeah. especially after Ange called them out a bit after the West Ham game to say that we've got no conviction in our finishing. He must have been as pissed off as we were seeing however many games in a row now where we are pumping teams without actually pumping them. And this was like mm. quite a nice response to that. So yeah, I guess it shows you that for all of our concerns without Madison, Van der Ven, Bentancourt, if I look at the last few games... Wolves was a crap performance. Villa, we annihilated and didn't win. We coached to win. City, we rode our luck in the first half, which is fine. It's City away. That could happen with a full team. And then Moreland does have the point in the second half. Yeah. West Ham was a bit of a mishmash, but we got, I would say, about as unlucky as we were bad. And Newcastle, we absolutely trounced. And this was with different players in different positions, players kind of dropping like flies or whatever. So if this is the really shitty, turbulent period that we had to grit and bear, then I think we've come out of it not completely disastrously, I guess. It could have been worse. Yeah, I guess if you look at the results and the actual points total, it doesn't make for yeah. great reading. But I think all things considered, we're in a fairly good position and the future looks quite bright. Uh, let's take it back to that West Ham game quickly. As much as we want to talk about Newcastle, let's go to West Ham. So you said we were about as unlucky as we were bad. I didn't watch the game, as I've told you guys. I was in Barbados. I decided to enjoy sitting on the beach instead, which was probably the right <laughs> move in hindsight. But I was hoping that you guys could fill me in on the West Ham game because obviously the last game I saw was the Villa game. I was at that game. And as you rightly said, we kind of coached a win we dominated we probably should have got at least a point out of it if not more was this a repeat of that or were we actually significantly worse in this game Dave what are your thoughts on the West Ham match well I can only tell you what I've seen and what I've seen with the highlights but yeah based on the highlights and the chat in the WhatsApp group uh, a highly sophisticated method of (laughs) consuming when you put those two together it's it's, it's, it's like listening to Joey Barton commentate on a game basically on a women's game but uh, but yeah it was a bright start it was a really good Romero header on his that was his first game back after it was suspension. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. See, I told you. Um, and then uh, <laughs> I believe then, that you watched the highlights, Dave. What I, can, what I can only describe <laughs> as the jammiest goal I've seen so far this year um, by Jared Bowen. So basically, a double deflection of two of your defenders after a shot from Kudos from the edge of the area. Which, incredibly, the second deflection was the perfect through ball, perfectly weighted for Jared mm. Bowen, who was running through obviously offside because it didn't come off any of the West Ham players and he just slotted it past Vicario, which kind of took the wind out of everybody's sails on the group and I think it probably took the wind out of everybody's sails in the ground. Yeah. And then it was relatively late, the winner. I can't remember what minute it was, but it was a proper kick in the teeth in the sense that it was... Again, not the best goal to concede. A back pass that was too short. Vicario came out for it. He was that pushed, he pushed it. Yeah, it yeah. He yeah. pushed it straight to Ward Prowse, who then did his very best to not score by hitting the post, but the rebound went straight back to him <laughs> and he passed it into the goal. So, yeah, a bit deflating by the end. But from everything that I've heard from everybody who I've spoken to about it, another good performance where, you know, you kind of got moised by two shitty goals and you probably should have been out of sight before they went in. Well, it certainly sounds like there was a healthy slice of misfortune. Was that all it was, Sox? Or do you think we actually deserved to lose? Was this like Wolves? Or was it more like Villa? Uh, no, we, we're somewhere in between those, to be totally honest. like mm. I, I think because West Ham plays such a low block, we struggled to break them down in the way that we did Villa, where we kept exposing the high line. Sometimes we were offside, but we had enough chances that we were onside to kill them off. This kind of showed the lack of quality that we've got in terms of our wide players, in terms of dribblers. 
because we don't have anybody to cross the ball into the box if Richarlison isn't in there in terms of height. Then we don't have anybody penetrative on the wing, like Kudaseski is in that. Brennan Johnson isn't that really. He's closer to like a Gareth Bale-less winger in the sense that I'll knock it by you and run, as opposed to I'm going to yeah. weave in between you like Mo Salah would do. And we kind of struggled a little bit beyond the initial, obviously the goal, which was from a set piece anyway. And second mm-hmm. half, they came out, like they said, one of the jammiest goals he's seen this year. And we just never really responded to that. And I don't know if there was a psychological aspect to it where it was like, oh, here we go again, taking a one lead about to kind of drop more points. But we never yeah. quite had enough in the second half. So I don't know what to kind of put it down to. I don't know if this is just one of those performances. And because we're missing so many players, it's difficult to know if this is the sort of thing that we would have struggled with 11 versus 11, just because we lack the personnel to really kind of break down low blocks. Like you think of Sheffield United and what it required. It was mm. uh, Richarlison header from a set piece. Yeah, and that and last minute winner from Kulisevsky, Liverpool similar against nine men. Yeah. So we've already shown a lot of, well, at least a couple of examples in the first 15 games of us struggling against these kinds of oppositions. So I think it was probably that amongst anything yeah. else. And there's not really too much to learn from that because I think we could have told you beforehand that we don't have wide sort of dribbly boys that are, there is no Jeremy Doku, there is no Saka, there is no Salah, there's nobody explosive on that wing. And until we find that player or start Richarlison down the middle more often, which is what we did against Newcastle. And well, you say the- that, Maybe, maybe like, we have found that player. Maybe that player has just emerged and his name is Son Heung Min. Who knows? I mean, we'll I get on to that when, that. We, yeah, was, when we get on yeah. to the Newcastle game because he, he looked like a new man in many ways, but we'll get on to talk about that. For a bit of context, heading into the Newcastle game, we had one point from five games. It was our first win in six and all of those games we'd actually taken the lead and then thrown it away, which was, to use a title phrase, it was rather Spursy, wasn't it? But thankfully, we are recording <laughs> this after we've put it all to bed and turned it around and hopefully now it's plain sailing for the rest of the season, which brings us nicely to Newcastle. And Socks, you mentioned, and it's obviously nothing new. We've had a few issues and just highlighted it. A lot of pundits have highlighted it. Perhaps counterintuitively, Spurs' problem seems to be scoring goals, despite how exciting and attacking we seem to be. And until this game, that seemed to have been a recurring problem. What were your thoughts when you saw the lineup? Rather than the lineup, I mean, when you saw how we were actually shaping up, specifically Son being out on the left and Richarlison being centre forward. Because from the moment I saw we seemed to be taking up that approach, I had my doubts and those doubts were firmly put aside as the game progressed. But were you in the same boat? Yeah, I think with Son and Richarlison, if both of them are going to play, I'm all in on the Richarlison as a nine, Son on the left, as opposed to the other way around. Before the game, were you feeling that way though? Or are you saying that with the benefit of hindsight? No, 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 just complete. Because we've spoken before about Son not necessarily being much of a dribbler and Richarlison absolutely isn't. So I'd rather, if I had to pick one of the two, I'd rather have Son on the left. I think the reality is, is that I see them as both down the middle and they're just playing on the left because we don't have anybody else. Perisic yeah. is injured. He maybe doesn't like Hill. He's seen enough and Solomon is injured. So at the moment, it's just a case of one goes on the left because they have to. But if mm. those are my two options, I would always have Richarlison as the nine and Son on the left. But long term, I don't like either of them. That's obviously the way it shaped up and we kind of reaped a, sort of the rewards. So what we were saying before about not having anybody kind of penetrative. I mean, we had two goals directly come as a result of Son going to the byline, directly attacking Trippier. And to be honest, I thought it was as much Trippier being sh- as it was Sun being decent mm. because Sun's touching and ball retention is still not uh, touches sorry his touching might be fine his touches still aren't <laughs> absolutely <laughs> please touch me Sun if you're listening Sun's <laughs> touching there you go <laughs> um, yeah I, I've, I've kind of lost my train of thought I've got distracted yeah, we by the have, so we all have uh, yeah yeah it, it was it was trippy and more so not kind of like intercepting stronger and I think a better right pack at the time probably kind of clears it but either way it shows you exactly what we're missing against West Ham somebody able to kind of directly run at a defence square a ball and you mm. get two almost like cheap goals the Richarlison and Adogi one it's about as easy of a goal as you could kind of hope to score so I would say kind of we've obviously got Forrest on Friday I kind of just want to see that again 
because I think Richarlison down the middle gives you a bit more of an aerial threat. So when you do have Poro in the wing, there's actually somebody to cross the ball into that you can trust to head it in the back of the net. That's always been a strong suit of his. And even though I still think Son has his limitations on the wing and this game has not massively changed my mind, he's just the best that we've got at the moment. And I think Mm. that front three of Son, Richarlison, Johnson left to right is probably the best that we have until we sign somebody else. So Yeah, Yeah, Richarlison is an aerial threat, although ironically he scored his first two goals with his feet for Spurs, which is lovely to see. Um, And his first first goal from a start, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, lovely for him. Dave, do we get full match Dave today or do we get highlights Dave as far as the Newcastle game is concerned? How much did you watch? I can't remember how much I watched of this. So I think that probably (laughs) tells you. That suggests that you at least had the game on. It was definitely on. Oh, that's good. I think think it was on whilst I was doing, you know, living my life. Yeah. But yeah, it was definitely on. I definitely kept looking over and seeing this car going, Good. <laughs> so you probably uh, got your uh, fair glimpse of Son and Richarlison in their respective positions. What do you think of the two of them in their, I don't want to say new positions, their old positions really, but what do you make of our attacking structure? I think it makes the most sense to have Richarlison in the middle. I also take Sox's point in the sense of feeling that, you know, it's just like having two forwards on the pitch. I mean, we've got, not to bring it back to Leeds again, but we've got a, quite a similar situation where we play one striker, but the man that plays in the n- number 10 behind him is last season's well, second top scorer and the season before second top scorer in the championship, Joel Peru. And it feels like we've got two strikers on the pitch, but we haven't, but they're rotating on several different occasions. Now, obviously there wasn't a lot of rotation between Richarlison and Son, and that's a good thing because no. obviously Son was where he needed to be for those two cross slash cutbacks. Is it a cross when it's on the floor or is it cutback when it's on the floor and it goes back? I, I think what's, what's the terminology the there? I think a cutback is a type of cross, isn't it? I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Like a lob is a type of shot. If it's meant to be, yeah. If it's not just a wayward cross. Interesting. But yeah, I, I think, um, I feel like the key point, and again, I'm just agreeing with Socks all day today. It's the consistency. It's the consistency, I think, is what, what is needed. And, and that consistency is going to come from playing this a few more times. Mm. And Son performing in exactly the same way again and Richarlison getting in the goals again. You know, if you can get that going on two, three games in a row, and quite frankly, the games that you've got coming on are an opportunity to do that, then great, because that'll breed confidence within the team. It'll dash any doubters in your fan base or outside of your fan base that this is something that is feasible at least until we're in a position where some people come back or you yeah. go into the transfer market. And it sets you up for the rest of December and, and then into January, which... You know, I'm looking at the fixtures and, you know, I might be ruining it for everyone, but they all seem winnable. You're thinking what we're all thinking and also hating ourselves slightly for thinking. So, yeah, you're on the same path as that. As much as that is a very good point about consistency, I think what this has also shown once again is that Ange is not afraid to change a losing team. Let's put it that way. He's definitely messed things around a little bit and it's not the first time where a result hasn't gone particularly well. I say losing team. We had a good result against Man City, but off a run of a pretty bad few games, he's messed around with things a bit and he's not afraid to try new things and experiments. And that's a lot of what the season's going to be about. As for the rest of the team in the midfield we had Kulusevski once again playing through the middle Sox do you think Kulusevski found the new home there or do you think it's going to be maybe a different story as time goes on obviously Madison's out for a while now so that's one few of in the middle available what have you made of him in that kind of 8-10 hybrid central role because I think he looks pretty terrifying on the ball. Yeah, I feel like we spoke about this after whichever City Villa, one of the last games where he played in you that did. position. And we were we were saying, I think Elio would have touched on it as well to give him credit, where we were just looking at it and going, look, this is what he did at Juventus.
centers. This was his role. Yeah. We've been the ones that have been mostly playing him out of position out of necessity. So he is now, it's not, yeah. it's new for us, but it's, it's not, not a reinvention. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's exactly. a reclamation of something that he mm. always was that he hasn't been able to kind of do for a while. So I think we've already sort of spoken about how, forget this season, if you're looking at it for the next two, three, four years, I'm hopeful that he'll play more games in that Madison role than out on the wing. And I'd rather we just go out and sign a proper winger. At the mm. moment, all he's doing is he's showing to us that, yes, this is why I used to play in that position because I'm actually pretty bloody good at it. And he was yeah. really, really impressive again against Newcastle. So if there was any kind of doubt that he could sort of revert back to that position. And I guess there's something to be said as well about the guys. Two things. One is just his robustness. And I probably put the kiss of death on him now. We're going to find out he's broken his leg in about two yeah. places. But he, yeah. he runs and runs and runs and just yeah. seems like he has legs for days. And I guess just in terms of his tactical astuteness, because how many different positions and roles, I think Ange touched upon it, like he's being asked to do a million different things. Like he's playing right wing this season, like he was last year, Mm -hmm. but it's a totally different role and responsibility in the same way that Porro is playing right back, like he was playing wing back last year, but it's totally different what he's being asked to do. And now he's moving back into a position that even if it's his favorite position, he's got two years worth of rust if you want to try and shake off. So what Mm. you've got is a player now that is showing you his physical capacity just in terms of his availability, you know, knock on wood, everybody, plus just his kind of reading of the game in his brain. So in a weird way, I'm kind of more impressed by that than everything that he showed because we're at a stage with these players where it's like good player put in good performance. There's going to come a point where it's just not shocking or whatever. And I'm, I'm kind of already there. So he's another one to get excited about in the long term. Yeah. if we weren't excited about him already. Yeah, his physicality is incredible, really. I think not only with the amount of ground he covers and his defensive work rate and the fact that he's just always up and down the pitch, but he takes a lot of kicks and he's also so strong. Like normally that's one thing yeah. you'll notice. If a player's tired, he's putting in a shift, he'll be pushed off the ball easily. He holds players off so well, you know? I mean, Elio made the Dembele comparison. Maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but you can see why because he, he's so good at just holding onto the ball and just using his strength to his advantage. Uh, he is certainly one of the candidates, I would say, for man of the match in that game but it was one of those games and not for the first time this season where you look across our lineup and it's so hard to pick out a man of the match I mean Son is perhaps the obvious example because set up two goals scored one Richarlison scored two but when you take out the direct goal contributions from the equation there are maybe four or five maybe six potential candidates would you agree with that? Yeah, Richarlison is one that comes to mind. Yeah. Udogi is one that comes to mind. Kudasest, yeah. who we've spoken about. Son, obviously, because of the goal contributions. I thought yeah. Ben Davis was immense. Excellent. I thought yeah. he put in such a good performance. Absolutely. And the thing, that, the thing that surprised me, obviously, the kind of highlight feature was his the tackle slides. that knocked it on to yeah. Isak. And Isak. We, at nil-nil as well. We go 1-0 down, Lord yeah. knows what happens. But it was actually his distribution, because that's the one thing that I mm. didn't think he'd really have. And all right, let's not go overboard. He's not going to turn into anywhere near the level of what Romero and Van do for this in that role. But way more impressive than I had ever previously given him credit for. And it's one thing for him to play left centre back in a three like he does for Wales or what he did for Conte in the last couple of seasons for us. But for him to play as a back two in a totally different system again is a totally different role and responsibility. So he was one that... Again, we came into this period and we were looking at going, bloody hell, we've lost Van de Ven, Romero's been suspended. What are we going to do? And I feel like defensively, we've not been talking about us too much. We've been going, bloody hell, look how many chances we've been missing or the goals we've been giving away have been all jammy goals or they've been Udogi passing it back or Basuma losing the ball and nothing actually to do with the people we were fearing coming in, certainly Ben Davis anyway. So I think he gets sort of like the honourable man of the match, do I mean? Like he's the people's champion, the people's hero. Davis deserves a whole load of credit. Davis has been excellent. 
the minute he's had to come back into the team, I don't want to say he hasn't put a foot wrong because I'm sure someone could point to an example where he's made a mistake. But as far as I've seen, Davies has been brilliant. I think on the ball, he's been more than adequate. I think he's been really good defensively. That sliding tackle of Isaac was brilliant, but also he made a couple of blocks. He intercepted a couple of things. And like you say, on the ball, he's been really good. And I think obviously if Van der Ven's fit, you put him back in because he was exceptional. But if we didn't have Van der Ven and given how long he's out for, I'm not worried. As long as Romero can stay A, healthy and B, not suspended, we'll get onto him in a bit, I'm sure. I'm more than happy with that as a back pair, to be honest. And they, they seem to be doing okay. Dave, we just ran through a few potential man of the match candidates. I want to throw Sar into the mix on that. I thought he was excellent again, especially considering he's back from injury. Anyone stand out for you? Anyone you want to talk about? Well, take your pick, really. Yeah, I mean, just to run back to the Davies conversation, I'm sure we'll talk about Romero in a, in a minute. But I do find it fascinating that it almost feels like there's a wild spectrum of central defenders, which are incredible defenders that go through to calamitous defenders. And mm. and it feels at like Spurs. You it mean? feels like it, well, at Spurs in the Premier League, <laughs> you know, you, where do you, where do you put where do you put Harry Maguire on that? Yeah, it feels like it feels like just in the last two weeks, Harry Maguire has gone from one side of that spectrum to the other yeah, side of that spectrum, exactly. and now somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Why can't we just have central Backs that just get the job done. It's because they have more don't to do, do nowadays. Don't do anything wild. Don't do anything crazy. What do you mean they the don't no have anything to do? nonsense about doesn't exist anymore, it's Dave. Not, I'm not saying they have to be no nonsense. I'm not saying they have to have steak and ale pie for dinner. <laughs> but I am, I am saying that they have to, they have to not make mistakes, but also they don't have to do anything wild. Now, granted, Ben Davis did do something wildly awesome in the last game, the game before, which was that incredible diving header through ball. But uh, generally speaking, there is a massive underrated element in football at the moment which is center backs that just center back the example that i would give you at the moment is your boy joe rodon at leeds because mm. he is not doing anything wild but he but is that's consistently why he's not at Spurs, good that's at why. defending we need players that can do more than just defend you, you, you we need, need the players. drama you we, need we the attack drama. as a team no not the drama we, <laughs> we need the build-up we attack as a team we need one of romero's best qualities for me is his passing and well okay. we, we yeah, hey hey we do pass and I don't mean I don't mean Hollywood passing here. We do. We, <laughs> no, I, I take your point as a general thing, but I don't think that applies so much to Spurs, which is I, why I it's think, so surprising that Davies has happening. been the asset he has been. I think it's interesting. It's happening in general in football. Mm. I think you know footballers make mistakes all the time, but for some reason, and I don't mean to defend Harry Maguire in this little bit, whatever this is, but it's ridiculous. This narrative that is just swaying left and right about Harry Maguire. You know, you've got a Nigerian government official apologising to Harry Maguire for. for saying he was such a he was such an idiot or whatever whoever it was. Sorry, I don't remember who it was. Yeah, but, I remember um, that. yeah, it's anyway. Your question was who else stood out? <laughs> I thought I thought Pedro Porro played well. I thought Pedro Porro played well and I he thought did. his, his through ball did, for Richarlison yeah. was really good and yeah. uh, Richarlison nearly messed it up with a questionable first touch but then made up for it with an excellent second. I deliberately left him out of the conversation because I wanted to bring him up specifically because for oh, me well, he's actually he's actually my man of the match and I think this performance was almost emblematic of his season for us in that he wasn't the one that stood out on the highlights or on the score sheet he maybe didn't get quite the amount of credit he perhaps should have done and I, I would actually go as far as saying I said this to you guys before I think he's got a shot for our current so far player of the season when you consider that a lot of players have missed a few games uh, a lot of the standout performers like Van der Ven, Madison, Romero for example I don't think I would argue for too long of anyone who'd say that he is our best player on balance across the season I don't think he's 
he's had a bad game. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he's had a bad game. He's played every game um, and he's taken to that inverted fullback role so well that I genuinely think he could play quite happily as a central attacking midfielder as a number eight and he'd be good at it, you know, as a kind of in the Kevin De Bruyne role or the Kulisevsky role as it is now. He's that good on the ball and his passing is that good. His awareness is that good. Um, just wanted to send out a little love for, for Pedro Porro. How's his free kick taking? Apparently it's good, good actually. He's so hit like the bar for us when he before. Football manager or something like so, that. I was going to say, if, if he's good at free kicks, then he's definitely better than Newcastle's right back. Wow. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Newcastle's right back did not exactly cover himself in glory. There were there were some allegations of match fixing in the WhatsApp chat group, which we, we should take this opportunity to say we're, uh, we're all in jest, of course. Let's go through the game in a bit more detail then, because obviously that first goal came pretty quickly and, and twice in a row, Son made a bit of a mug of Trippier. First of all, can we shout out another player who needs to be in the conversation for Mad the Match in Destiny Odogi, who... Yes, again, it's becoming boring, was brilliant. Um, what I loved about what he did in the goal there is that if you didn't know him, you didn't know who he was and you were watching Spurs for the first time, you'd be forgiven for thinking this was a centre forward. Not just for the finish, but the way he ran and attacked the space. And I love that about him. He got the ball, he laid it off wide, he spun his defender and just ran. And he does that every time. Every time he's in the final third, he'll lay it off and he just runs into the box. And it's actually, the surprising thing is that it's taken until now for him to get his first goal. Sox, what did you make of, uh, of Destiny in this game? He was good, yeah. I mean, we spoke last week because I think he's had a few sh- games really. I think going back to Luton, I think he got sent off against Chelsea and he's yeah. been in and out of the side kind of since with some injuries as well. So it was nice to see him just look, forget the goal, right? Because sometimes we'll, we'll never speak about a player and then they score and we'll speak about them irrespective of anything else that's happened. The goal is just yeah. a bonus, but I thought it was all around performance was generally really really impressive and then funny mm. enough you, you sort of mentioned him today it's come out that apparently we've agreed a new deal with him and you i think it's a five-year contract with an option oh, really for Excellent. for a sixth year everybody reported it basically uh, this morning what we monday the 11th of December. That real madrid yeah, well, that's exactly <laughs> it, right? Like we, just went up. <laughs> we did this when we had players under Pochettino where we noticed their talent earlier. And if you remember, yeah. every single year, we just kept giving them new contracts. So even though he's only just got here, obviously he was loaned out for a year. It's nice for us to kind of appreciate what we've got early on. I hope we do the same with Papsar while we're at it as well, by the way. Yes. But um, yeah, I mean, he's just an immense player, Adogi. And in terms of his build-up, his physicality, he's probably one of the few sort of big monstrous plays we've got just in terms of you know being a specimen I suppose in the team nice for him like you said to finally kind of get a goal but yeah he's one I suspect we're going to be talking about for quite a while over the next few years as truly you don't want to go too overboard early on 10-15 games into a player's career but I'd be lying if I said to you I haven't already thought about him potentially being the best left back in the world one day in a few years time and I don't know if that's just the romanticism of me being a a deluded hopeless romantic idiot Tottenham supporter or there's actually some merit to it but it's difficult not to get carried away when you look (laughs) at both his physical mental and sort of technical attributes you're like what are you missing on paper and it's basically nothing. And defensively, defensively and going forward, I am definitely on the same page as you, Sos, because I can't help but feel the same thing about him and about Saar, to be honest. I mean, we can throw Kulisevsky in there, but I, I almost don't want to talk about him in terms of a young player, even though he's about the same age as those guys, because he's been around for a while now. But Dave, do you think we're going overboard when we're talking about players like Saar and Udogi and thinking like they've got the potential, they've got the ceiling to be, you know, world-class whatever that definition means, you know, Real Madrid are going to be knocking on the door. Are they that good? Will they be that good? Or are we just being partisan Spurs fans and getting carried away? I mean, they're putting in consistently good performances for a top side in one of the hardest leagues in the world. So Mm. yeah, they are that good. Whether they will be that good is, well, that's the not one in a million, but certainly more than one in one. Um, Mm. Probably out of every player that is this good at that age, what, 5% less? 1% 1% get to be actually yeah. labelled as world-class ultimately. And, you know, that I guess that just comes down to luck 
in terms of injuries. It comes down to training, comes down to work rate. You know all the all the ones in the right hand column on Football Manager, basically. Um, <laughs> uh, and if they're all and if they're all really high, then there's absolutely no reason why not. It also, it also, I, I think also probably depends on whether you actually have the luck, which it is luck, of getting a good coach who can coach you and improve you. And I do think under Poshta Cogley, they've got one for the time being. Obviously, mm. you know it's two sides to sign the contract, and I'm assuming if Udogi is willing to commit his future to Spurs, then at least in the short term, he sees it as a really great place to. Continue continue to improve under under Ange. Yeah, I think they could do a lot worse as far as the coach is concerned. We're doing one of those episodes, we do this every so often, and I have to take responsibility for it. And I'm not going to apologize because I think it is necessary on this occasion where we kind of go through player by player and talk about how much we love them. And um, I can't <laughs> help it this week because I, and I tweeted this earlier. I said, I don't think there's a single player in our first 11 that you can say played anything less than a 7 out of 10. And I think maybe five or six of them has to be an eight or higher. On that measure, I thought it was maybe our best performance of the season. I don't know if you would disagree with that on anyone. I mean, Romero had a couple of hairy moments in terms of his discipline, as he tends to do. We can talk about him now if you'd like. But so would you agree with that, that every player carried his weight this week? I was going to say on that note, I was having a call with Elliot when he was driving down to the game. We'll be talking about Pap Sard and going on about like still not being liking him, but not fully convinced yeah which is absolutely fine given his yeah. relative kind of infancy and then he came in and like 20 minutes in the whatsapp group we were like we didn't know what we had until it was gone <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah it, it's I just he, he, yeah. we spoke about kuliseski and having legs and physicality and he's absolutely that like he is he is what we hope musa sissoko would be and i mean that in the mm-hmm. absolute best compliment but he, he's the best possible version of that type of a footballer in terms of, i don't know whether you want to describe it as box to box or whatever it is but he's an engine he runs he, he does pops up all over the place everywhere yeah. i remember saying this after the crystal palace game every time you looked up it's like who was it that made that block oh it was papsar who was it that did this oh it, yeah it was the same thing and I, I think initially we were all expecting maybe for it to be lacelso in there or something instead a bit like he has been or, or, or whatever it was maybe lacelso kolesevsky again but i will never unless he throws an absolute stinker i will never <laughs> kind of complain not that i have been yeah. but i will never kind of complain at the absence of papsar because him coming back into the team you really, really saw what it was we had missed. And I didn't realize, really, we've been talking about, oh, God, Madison, oh, God, Van der Ven. I'm not prepared to chuck Papsar quite in that kind of category yet, but I'm not too far off from going, if he goes down, this is a fairly big problem. So I thought, of all the ones we mentioned, really, we should have mentioned it first because I thought he was up there for man of the match as well good to see he kind of came off at 70 minutes just because obviously he's coming off the back of the injury so we can kind of rest him well and and now obviously the first thing i'm thinking of is within about three four weeks we're losing him because he's going to afcon he's going to afcon annoyingly for us he's senegalese and that's nothing against the senegalese it's a compliment they're really they're a really bloody good team yeah exactly unlike basuma who plays for mali with all due respect to anybody from mali you'd Mm. expect them to get knocked out a fair bit earlier so we're gonna have to deal without papsar for a good three four weeks into february so he was one i wanted to give a shout out to um i'm loath to continue to go on but you mentioned um i mean i'm gonna do it anyway but you mentioned uh (laughs) sorry i think we we, 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 we will do it's fine and i'll I'll, I'll tag it right back over to you so i we we almost forgot about we almost kind of discarded him for a moment we were singing his praises all season and then bentoncourt came back and we're like all right so that was that was fun you go to the bench now bentoncourt came back in seemed to pick up where he left off uh, and then obviously he got injured and so i was injured at the same time and suddenly we're like oh god now we're we're really in trouble and he was brilliant got a few stats here from his 73 minutes 
he was on the pitch. 62 touches, 39 out of 45 accurate passes, two key passes, one successful dribble, nine ground duels, one, three aerial duels, four tackles and one interception. So that exactly like you say, he does everything. He's got a bit of everything. I think the only thing he doesn't have at the moment, arguably, and I'm sure it could come, is uh, a consistent goal threat. He obviously got their goal against Man United. He can do it, but he doesn't really get into those positions. So he's not a full-on box-to-box just yet, but he certainly could be. So that's Saar. Who have we not praised yet? Because I, I don't want to leave a single person out. Even Vicario didn't have much to do, but he... Oh, you know, I love him. His passing was so good. And not <laughs> to mention screaming in Callum Wilson's face was a, a nice little cherry on top of the afternoon, wasn't it? Yeah, to, to be honest, I don't really give a toss about the Callum Wilson <laughs> stuff. I, I, I know you're setting, me up, look, you're setting me up to be Elio 2.0 here. Elio's not here. I don't, Come on, no, give me something. No, I, I, I do not have the capacity. You've got to be self-aware. That's not my forte. That If Elliot was in there, he can go off and wishing him, you know, to have a, some sort of yeah. post-birth abortion. It's not in my <laughs> skill set. <laughs> I, I will rise above it. I don't think there's much in it, to be totally honest. Like, no. Callum Wilson gave some, or I don't even know what the hell happened. Bakario stuck his bloody tongue out of him. This is the same Callum Wilson who's obviously been taking the mickey out of Richardson a bit, which yeah. in and of itself is disrespectful and unprofessional without being an absolute horror show. I, I think this is, look, this is just, it's football, right? Like, this it comes with the territory. It's a case of you give some, you, you take it back, you give it, you take it back. All it was was a striker who was pissed off at the end of a game that his team had lost. Yeah. Our goalkeeper acted incredibly mildly like a tiny, <laughs> tiny clown, but in a really yeah. hilarious way. And he was a little bit miffed by it. I don't think it, it's worth. Do you know what it is? Like, I have this bizarre kind of fear in my head, and I've always had this, that the more people we annoy, the more rivals we'll get and the harder it will be for us to win matches. So oh, I see our fans... game. will be a Ross Cup like, final. Yeah. West Ham hate us, Arsenal, Chelsea, yeah. Arsenal hate us, Chelsea hate us. Liverpool now. Liverpool now have an agenda yeah. against us. Villa, yeah. our fans have been going back and forth with them because of the Matty Cash thing. Yeah. All we're doing is just making enemies. Leicester have it in for so, us for some reason as well. This part of me is like, can we not just all hold hands and just sort of stand in a circle and sing fucking Kumbaya? Like, I don't want anybody <laughs> else to to kind of hate us. So if you're any Newcastle fans with the off chance you listen to it, please, man, this is nothing personal. Like, we don't yeah. mind you. Just please please ignore all the stuff we've said about your Saudi ownership in the past. It was only, <laughs> it was only a joke. Just, just like Ricario screaming in Wilson's face. Uh, Ali Tihad is my second team, man. So don't just just leave us alone and bother somebody else, please. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. To quote Richard Keys, it was just banter. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to add on Callum Wilson, Dave? Is that more than we need to more waste than our enough. breath on it? Yeah. yeah. More than let's, enough. Let's focus on the fact that we just beat a really good team four-one. Said, shall we? Exactly. Let's focus on on the football. Let's stick to football. So where were we? We're, we're about two goals in, and then we just got carried away talking about how lovely all of our players are. Half time, obviously we were on top and it was looking good. First five, ten minutes of the second half, as you touched on earlier, Sox, and you mentioned in the group, you didn't seem particularly comfortable until obviously the third goal went in, but we didn't start the second half brilliantly, did we? No, I mean, they they came out with a higher level of intensity and we were just not mm. able to match it. And I don't know the reasons why, but that was the case. And you were fearing you could sense the tide sort of turning a little yeah. bit. The Especially with what's obviously... happened in the last few games as well, with the amount Ex- of leads. Exactly that. Yeah. And Occam's razor probably suggests that that is, you know, the kind of obvious conclusion to what it was without knowing for certain. And, you know, you know how it's like, I mean, anybody that's been in a football stadium for more than like one or two occasions knows what happens when the crowd gets quiet and yeah. you can all have that same, like you sense something's happening. And that third goal was just an absolute killer because it came at the absolute perfect time. And yeah. I think after that, they made some substitutions, which was them effectively waving the white flag. So that yeah. was the thing that that kind of killed it, really. And those are the sort of fine margins of football. You talk about kind of managing a game. I don't think we were managing it particularly well, to be honest. I think we got, I don't want to say fortunate, because we created that goal really well. So it wasn't anything lucky about it necessarily. It was an amazing ball from Poro into Richarlison. So something that was well coached, but it came yeah. at an absolutely you know, ideal time. And from that point, it was... 
relatively smooth sailing towards the end. I think what I'll say about that goal is it came in the middle of a approximately five minute spell where we were absolutely dominating them. In the space of about five minutes, there was that counterattack where LaSalle was dragged down Son, if you remember. It was about, I think it was four on two. Yes. And he was yeah, through. Yeah. And it, like that, that was one of those where it was a yellow, but for me, that's a clear goal mean. scoring opportunity. Like it's not a red yeah. by the law, but it almost should be because that, that would have been a goal. Like that, that would have taken a horrible miss for that not to end in a goal. And then right afterwards was the goal. And then immediately after that, there was another chance where Kulisevsky kind of floated to the back post and Son smashed it wide on the volley, which was a really good chance by his standards. And this was all within about five minutes of each other. So like we would definitely turn the ties in that moment. But let's talk about the yeah. goal itself. Dave, you mentioned earlier when you brought up Poro, what a pass. What a pass for Richarlison. Talk me through that move and that goal. Well, it was just a perfectly weighted ball over a defender. Probably, I would guess, because I'm not a Premier League defender, that is the type of ball that when you see it being kicked, you immediately <laughs> hit old. everything everything that's going on and you hit yourself <laughs> and you want to crawl into a hole because you're like, yeah. I can't get this. You want it's to be not six going fast seven. enough to look incredible, but it, there is nothing I can do. It might as well just turn around and just run towards Richardson just to try and put him off. But yeah, and then that ball went over, which was inch perfect. And what do you think of Richardson's finish and his touch? Well, the first the first touch was a la Jermaine Beckford at Old Trafford uh, in uh, in January 2010. <laughs> but the second touch was a la Jermaine we Beckford remember that one. <laughs> in, uh, at Old Trafford in January 2010. So yeah, basically the first touch pushed him a bit wide, maybe wider yeah. than he wanted to be second touch made up for it and uh and lodged yeah. it into the goal so yeah it reminded me in a weird way do you remember his goal of the world cup that was like goal of the tournament his bicycle kick and everyone was singing his praises about how brilliant this goal was whereas i think his first touch for that was a complete miscue he just kind yeah. of spooned it up into the air and thought now what i do oh, i might as well overhead kick this and then it was perfect that's a bit harsh because i think this touch was okay he took it away from the defender to his credit but i don't know how much he uh he knew what he was doing but either way you know with a man as low on confidence as he has been to get two goals and they weren't bad finishes by any means you can't complain too much so yeah that was that was three no and at that point it was kind of plain sailing sean longstaff came on alongside wilson much to elio's uh, despair i'm sure and then moments after that we had the romero challenge that gary neville was not particularly fond of i've seen a lot of people getting on neville's back about his his treatment of romero from the commentary country and i do think he does seem to have something of an agenda against him he, he does seem to have it in for him but that being said i've watched it back in the in the moment, I said, "Ah, yellow card, it's fine." I'm now I'm going back on it myself. I think it probably was a red, and it does raise re-raise a conversation about Christian Romero that we need to have. Socks. First of all, you agree it was a red card, don't you? Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, and I guess the question that remains is: Is this ever going to change? And if not, where does that leave us with Romero? Because he's undoubtedly an incredible defender. He's a very talented player on and off the ball. He's brilliant. He's one of the best defenders in the world when he doesn't get sent off or do something stupid. It's 3-0. You're winning. The game is done. You've just seen what happens when you leave your team without your services for three games in a row. It's absolute madness. Is there any defense for him in that situation? Yeah, this is like we need to talk about Kevin, but minus all the school shooting <laughs> aspect of it. But it's we need to talk about QT. It, yeah. there's, it does feel like we are at a, a difficult crossroads with him in terms of having that conversation because I don't care that he didn't send off. I, I care that he's probably going to again anyway. Let's say he yeah. gets sent off. Let's say, he, let's say he got rightly sent off for an agreement. That's seven games missed in suspension. Even if he doesn't get sent off from that point onwards, 
we can't have somebody assuming they're completely fit and ever present already be out for seven games and play 31 out of 38 in the league like that's just absolutely ridiculous yeah. i have no idea what we do with them because we're in a position where we've got three senior center backs and one of whom is eric dyer so in other words we've got two senior center backs so we're not in a position to be removing some when we're so desperately to kind of sign more the other problem we've got is that he has such a high ceiling and so much potential that if i think of defenders that i think are you know undoubtedly better than him they're all playing at bigger clubs or they're all completely unattainable for us anyway so i kind of feel like mm. we can have that discussion now as a fan base but it's not something that feels practical for the club to solve like what we're going to do get rid of him in january or even in the summer i think the only sensible way forward is fingers crossed hope for the best bring in at least That's another couple of do. defenders and yeah. i think the issue he knows as well as any of us is that he gets sent off against forest say and he comes back in after four games would you start him over emerson rail 100% you would. Yeah, of course you would. His, yeah. pos- his position is completely safe. His position is completely safe. So I yeah. think there are two things that need to happen. The first is you sign the centre-backs we need anyway to put a bit of pressure on them and ho- you hopefully sign someone that is, even if he's not as good, there's a big gap between Emerson Royale and, and Christian Romero and you can just you can comfortably sign a player in there so that when Romero yeah. does do something idiotic, we don't have to rush him straight back into the team and we can be comfortable with the centre-back that's in there instead of him. The second one is that, that the manager has a sit-down with him I've got no idea if Conte did this. I've got no idea if Gasparini did this at Atalanta or whoever his manager was at Genoa. Maybe it might amount to nothing, but go see a psychologist or a sports psychologist or something because I don't think <laughs> I, I don't subscribe pills. to this. Whatever it might be, man. Like I, I don't subscribe to this idea where it's like this is just the way he is. I guess, but like human beings can change. Like if we've got somebody that can't regulate his emotions, mm. then that's a skill that can be taught. Do you know what I mean? Like he can prune himself by ten percent, fifteen percent. He can calm it down yeah. by a little bit. I'm not. I'm not asking him to come out against Forest with a bouquet of flowers in one hand and a bunch of Christmas cards <laughs> in the other and start blowing kisses <laughs> to everybody. Like he doesn't need to run 100 miles in the opposite direction. I refuse to believe that there isn't things that can be done behind the scenes, and maybe they're being done anyway. I don't know that can tame him just slightly because it's such a shame to have a defender that has that much talent yeah. that is this much of a liability. But as much as we as supporters have been bigging him up for a few years, there is no other top centre back in the world, and you cannot name me one outside of Sergio Ramos that has yeah. this issue. Saliba doesn't do this. Van Dijk has only just got his first red card for Liverpool. Botman yeah. in Newcastle doesn't do this. Diaz doesn't do this. There is not one. De Ligt doesn't do this that has this problem. So I don't see why we should have that one. And I think, like I said, I, I, at the moment, it just feels like we've got to live with it a little bit. But yeah. it's, it, it's the one bit of the performance that honestly annoyed me a lot because it's gotten to the point now where it's just... You're just a moron and it is becoming completely indefensible. And we have just seen what happens when you're losing for a few games and it's not pretty. And I do not want us to be in a position where we're going to chuck away needless points because you've got one player that 80th minute in, you're 3-0 up. The game is all but done and you go in for something so utterly. This isn't taking a red to stop a goal scoring opportunity when you're clearly on for dear life. You take that red man, see if I give a shit. If it was Jack Grealish last week or whatever, you hack him away. It's just (laughs) absolutely brainless, man. Uh, I'm... I'm, Piss off him, man. I can't argue with that. And it's not even relevant whether it was a red or not. I mean, it was 50 50, right? It was a given. I mean, it was a yellow. Let's just yeah, say it was because he's going to get another. Look, the, yeah. the, the why get a yellow in that situation? Why make that tackle? Like, he didn't need to do it. He didn't need to go in the way he did. And even if it wasn't a red, it's the overarching issue. And I, th- I think yeah. about this a lot. And I, I think I mentioned before, I've actually written an article about this very point. It's called Christian Romero, a man on the edge. And that's a, a bit yeah. of a play on the fact that he's on the edge in terms of his sanity. But also, the common rhetoric around it is that he plays on the edge and he needs to and that's the other that's the complicating factor of it there's this idea that to get the best out of him he needs to play aggressively and Anne just come out and actually supported this and he might be saying some 
something different behind closed doors. Sure. But he's come out and said that I'm not going to tell Romero to be less aggressive because that's the essence of why he's a great defender. He is that kind of defender. He's not the smooth running back and just intercepting the ball like Ledley King and not having to make a tackle or like Maldini or anything. He is Sergio Ramos. He is the aggressive front foot stopper type. And if you take 10% off that, maybe you'll take 10% off of his good defending. Who knows? I don't know if it's that simple, but it's definitely something that's going to be a problem if we don't find another player for him. It begs the question though, because Sergio Ramos is the obvious comparison. They had Pepe and Sergio Ramos who were their backup centre-backs all that time? They must have been really good because they probably played half the season. Like everyone, We've all seen Sergio Ramos in big Champions League games and whatever, but he got like, what, 25 red cards or something? He must have missed so many games. They must have had some really good backups. That's a great um, question. I'm absolutely yeah, giving that now. Nacho, is he one of them more recently? I don't even know. I don't know. Um, Dave, what do, you, what do you think we need to do with Romero? Do we just accept that that's the price you pay for having his brilliance when he is on the pitch and just have a no. contingency plan? No, no absolutely not. Um, I think it's going to be obvious what happens. We're going to know what happens on the training ground by what happens in January. If Postacoglu honestly believes that he can remove that 5% aggression without removing that 5% of performance, then you won't sign a centre-back in January. And if he doesn't, then you will. I I think it's... It's pretty simple as I that. Think you know? anyway, there, was, there was there was no mad dash that we anticipated there being at the end of this window for a centre back. And you have, I mean, when's Van der Ven back? January. Uh, January, yeah. That's at your least. league signing there. As much as we hate to say it, and as much as I hate when my cheapskate chairman used to say, oh, well, we've got Stephen like back, it's just like a new signing. <laughs> well, it's not because it'll be. We're going to have about five new signings in January. Or exactly. Well, there you go. You were, yeah. You're in a best window bubble. ever. But yeah. I do think I do think that the same thing will happen again. There won't be a rush for a centre back unless there is a genuine fear from Postecoglou that he can't make Romero walk the line just a little bit better than he currently is. He, he needs to know that he's not guaranteed a place back in the team, right? He needs to know that if he does it again, he needs, he there might that. be someone good he, enough he, that goes he, on a run. Yeah, I guess there's a, he needs that kind of threat. I don't know. That might be not the way he works. He might just say, mm. "Well, f you, then, guys. I'm off to." Barcelona yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah. but ultimately I think it's going to be down to Postacoglu and he's going to either say I can work with this guy give me a bit more time I've got this or yeah I don't think I don't think I'm going to get it and he's too much of a risk so let's invest whether Levy invests or not is another thing but that's that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's that's for a separate I, podcast. I would figure that's the yeah. that's the mindset that Postacoglu will have right now because I think Sox is 100% right it can't go on like this because it's yeah, uh, yeah you, you, you risk thing. losing you risk losing a player for 50% of the season it stopped being funny it used to be fun I mean when he wasn't getting sent off when he was getting away with it when he pulled down well, Kukurea by his yeah, hair it's the, it's the rare alphas it. at the spectrum of the <laughs> of the of the defenders they're much more fun yeah. You know, he's, not, he's not young Stephen either. That's Harry the thing. Dwyer accidentally being offside so that Man United don't win a game is funny. You know, a bog standard Harry Maguire who just does a job isn't funny. In quotation marks, arc of Harry Maguire scoring an absolute goal that doesn't mean anything to, against Slovenia for England and putting his hands to his ears is funny because it doesn't make any sense why he did it. That's what we love. That's what we want to consume more of. We want to consume more of these rare alpha centre-backs who do wild things, but it's not. Yeah. It's fun until it's not fun. My main takeaway from all of this is we need to sign Harry Maguire as a backup to Romero in January. Let's just leave it there, shall we? I'm <laughs> sure we'll have plenty of chances to talk about Romero again. Uh, we did fun. score another goal. There were two more goals in this game. So back to the Poro love train once again. Another lovely, incisive through ball for Son, who, like Richarlison, took a slightly heavy first touch, but then kind of made up for it and won something that 
I hadn't really heard of before, something called a penalty kick. We, we were rewarded, um, which is apparently where you're fouled in the box and you get to take a shot from 12 yards, um, which uh, the last time somebody not named Harry Kane took for us was Deli Ali in, was it 2019 or something ridiculous like that? Absolutely insane. But you didn't doubt Son putting it away from 12 yards for a second. But um, yeah, we're only sixth behind Arsenal now on penalties. So hopefully we've got all those to look forward to. But yeah, once again, lovely through ball from Pedro Porro, who is my man of the match and my player of the season so far. Before we move on to talk about upcoming games, is there anything else to discuss about this game? I think the only player we haven't really talked about is Basuma, actually. Who um, Let's talk about Basuma just quickly because he's been quite poor for a while, I think it's safe to say. And I watched the game back earlier and I think he was very good. He wasn't as spectacular as he hasn't been. He wasn't doing his, you know, Dembele dribbles. He wasn't taking people on as much, but he played a lot of very accurate passes under pressure. He broke lines of pressure a couple of times. He won the ball a few times. He intercepted it. I thought it was Basuma doing his job exactly how he should. What do you think, Sox? Yeah, he's been playing himself back into form game by game. I think it's basically what's happening. Each game is 20% better than the last, so I agree. Um, He was obviously made a huge error against City, was fine against West Ham, better without being anything special today was closer to that again not the best that we've seen him but whatever it was that he was maybe if it's just a confidence issue I think we also mentioned I can't remember after which game it was that the better players you have around him the better he will look because he is able to pass it to other kind of press resistant players as well he does look better with star yeah and I don't think that's any coincidence whatsoever so I I was never worried about him we also didn't mention Johnson who I thought could have comfortably ended up with I think that he was the cross across the face of goal in the first half that I think Saar kind of miss hit and played wide he had a shot that I've watched back five times and I'm still convinced it's gone in I I have no idea how it didn't go in so as yeah. far as I'm concerned we won 5-1 and that was a goal and something just broke because that, that thing definitely went in the back of the net well, yeah, too, I've never he? been he had, to see he had the one that was along the ground cross goal that clipped the outside of the post and then he had the one at the end of that oh, beautiful oh, move about that one as right well. at the end yeah. not right at the end but towards the end of the second half where there was a lovely move there were a couple of flicks it was out wide and then he yeah. um, he just kind of leathered it didn't he which is unlike he places with shots and yeah that was a lovely, another great Kudusevsky has been I don't know the statistics but I'd love to see his expected assists for the season because I feel like he's yeah. been uncannily unfortunate when it comes to players not taking the chances that he puts on the plate for them. I feel like his assists should be way higher than they actually are. But yeah, you're right about Johnson. He had a couple of those. And then yes, Saar, you'd expect him to do better. I mentioned earlier, his maybe goal scoring is the one thing he used to add to his game. But yeah, that probably should have been an assist as well. The thing with Johnson is his first touch and his close control is brilliant, I think. He's one of the best first touches I've seen, but he seems to not quite have that killer instinct, that decision-making to make the right ball. Sometimes he was a bit rushed with his delivery and maybe he's just kind of hitting at hope. He needs to get his head up a bit more once he's got it under control for me. But definitely can't really fault his performance too much. Yeah. I mean, he's one that you put in the category of is only 22, has taken exactly. a big step yeah. up New in team. terms of size, pressure, all that kind of stuff. So I think what you're looking for in terms of the raw talent, I think there were a lot of people down on him when we signed him for mm. various reasons. It's just a lot of money for one thing. Sometime. Yeah, for somebody you look at, go, is he that good, relatively unproven? He's not called John Senior or whatever it might be. And I think he's sort of game by game. He's showing what he's about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he went missing. I didn't see him. <laughs> there it is. Can we, abs- can we edit in the John Cena music on that bit? When you- <laughs> Absolutely. I think we might have to. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah your point. No, he was good. Yeah. The final one would be actually, to, not to attend on a down note, but I thought 
Hoiberg man when he came on, and he was obviously let's not talk about the subs. Uh, <laughs> it's just even here wasn't. Just, I, I don't want to scapegoat yeah. anybody, but it's like if uh, anything subbed up Hoiberg and and yeah. his bad fit for this team. All right, you're falling in luck. It doesn't yeah. matter too much. But the it goal was, was pretty much all his fault, wasn't it? He gave it away. Yeah, I mean, 100% it was. yeah. 100% but it's, it was. you know what? If one up, you can you can take it off gas a bit. Yeah, yeah, I know. I feel bad, but still. <laughs> I hate stating Hoiberg because he's such a scapegoat. I want to stick up for him, but you've got to give credit yeah. rest you and you've got to give criticism rest you. Dave, you just um, Just to back up your point that you made earlier on, on Kulisevsky and, yeah. and maybe stats aren't backing up the reality. Oh, yeah. He's only got one assist in the Premier League this season. Yeah, that's nuts. But he's created more chances than anybody in your team, which is 35. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So, yeah, that's a that curse. Starts, starts absolutely back up exactly what you were just saying there. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously Madison's been out for like five games, yeah. but but yeah, Kulusevski is now way ahead. Some evidence that I'm actually watching the game. There you go. Speaking of Johnson, we are playing his old team next. So hopefully he can come in and do something against them. We are away at Nottingham Forest before a resurgent Everton, who seem to be loving their points deduction. <laughs> and then Bryson away on the 28th of December. So one more game in December as well, which is Bournemouth on New Year's Eve. Dave, it looks like Spurs have turned a corner. We've got our nice little run of games coming up. We've just had the gauntlet. Most of our injuries have kind of come and gone. We've got something approaching a decent strength team. We're buoyed by a nice victory against a highly fancied Newcastle. Next four games, Forest, Everton, Brighton, Bournemouth. Spurs are back in it, surely. Are we saying that one win is turning the corner? Yeah, I am. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the the win is on I mean, that. Winning in that fashion, David. You break. That is a handbrake turn around the corner. Your indicator's on. And and I think the guy is let <laughs> wave you on so that you can turn. And you've put your hand out to accept his letting you go. And you're just about to pull out. I think you're not you're not quite turned the corner yet. If twenty games count as a start, then one then game one can win count as many. Yeah, I'm corner. sorry. <laughs> We've got to be consistent with this. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of Grand Theft Auto recently, and the way I turn corners is I handbrake turn into a car that's on the other lane just to cushion my turn. So I stop going off the road. <laughs> and it's that it's that kind of turning of a corner. So, I think. So Kieran Trippier was the collateral damage of your corner turn. He, he was, yeah. He got, okay. he got drive by it and my absolutely smashed on the way. So yeah. So corner turned or otherwise, we do have a more forgiving run of fixtures coming up and we seem to have something approaching a not full strength team, but a, a competitive team. You surely have to fancy Spurs to do well out of our next two games, certainly. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah I think Forrest are horrifically shaky at the moment. They've mm. got no confidence. They've got no goals. I think, obviously, you know, Son has the majority of yours, but I think a one only, yeah. has as many as your second highest scorer, which is four. Yeah. And then it drops down to threes for Wood and Ilanga and then single digits for, for a bunch. They're not on great form. They got a point in their last game, but that's the only point they've got in the last 15. Mm. I, it looks pretty It looks pretty bleak for Forrest. They appear to be slap bang in the middle of second season syndrome and it would yep. not shock me at all if your beating of them at the city ground is Steve Cooper's last game in charge. The one I'm worried most about there is the Sean Dyche machine that seems to be on a... <laughs> On, on a pretty aggressive, um, defiant path at the moment. But luckily that's a home game, so you probably would fancy us. Socks, are you still refusing to look at the league table? Are you taking it game by game to try and enjoy our play? Or are you looking at these games much like I am and thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe we're a good few points off top, but we could get ourselves right oh, back in a nice, 
say, <laughs> hear me out. We can get ourselves right back in the nice mix of the top three, four, maybe, and, you know, put ourselves back where we think we should belong. I never thought I'd say these words, but I miss Helio. <laughs> I wanted to come back. <laughs> he, he backs you up on this, doesn't he? He sh- sh- helps you shut me down when I start getting carried away. I will no, say this. Not... We looked like champions against Newcastle. Oh, for f- all right. Well, yeah, yeah, all right. I'll, I'll agree yeah. with you there. It was a yeah, performance yeah. of champions that we won't Ch- be. <laughs> to be fair, even when we were finishing mid-table, we'd have the odd game where we'd look like champions. Where did we finish when, <laughs> yeah. we, when we beat Wigan 9-1 or whatever it was? That was probably like fourth. Uh, that was actually fourth that year, to that be was fair. fourth. Oh, okay. Well, there, decent. You no. there you go. Brilliant. Well, look, we're scraping the barrel a little bit now. We've covered most of what we can. Thank you, Dave, for the preview there of Nottingham Forest. Did you beat Everton, was it 7-0? Was that a season before last? I don't think we won 7. We've never uh, hit them for 7. Wasn't it five and a half time or something? Or am I six six two? Oh no, that was one where we pumped them under Lampard four or five. Yeah, Yeah, we we beat them six two at Goodison a few years ago as well. You must remember it because it was Lampard in charge. I must remember it because of Lampard. Um, Yeah, Yeah. let's have that again. Let's have that again. I think in the context of every team becoming our rival and trying to pick fights and hold grudges. Let's not forget what happened the last time we played Newcastle, because that's burned into my memory pretty hard. This was quite cathartic, if for no other reason, because of that. And we've got a bit of a history of getting spanked by them as well. There was the last game of the season where they beat us, I think, 5-1. There was a 7-1 once upon a time. So, uh, so yep. yeah, I think... As was much it was the 5-1 when to... they were already relegated? That's correct. It was. Dave, yes. 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 That's really embarrassing, guys. I think Musa Soko <laughs> was mad of the match for them as well. So yeah, yeah we, I think um... we signed them directly off the back of that, actually. <laughs> yeah. Literally because of that alone. Yeah, it was that and then the Euros, I think, immediately afterwards where he, he yeah. actually looked really good. Yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, it was yeah, definitely a nice little redemption there for Spurs, and let's hope it can continue. I, for one, am very happy with what I'm seeing, and I'm going to take a leaf out of Sox's book and not get carried away and just try and enjoy each game as it comes, each goal as it comes, each beautiful move of Ange Ball as I get to see it unfold and hope for the best. And then the minute we're even within touch and distance of the top, I'm going to throw all of that away and start dreaming about titles again, but that's just me. <laughs> um, guys, thank you once again for joining. If there's anything you wanted to add, then please speak now or forever hold your peace. We will have Elio back hopefully next week as well, where we will be looking back on the Forest game, among other things, and looking ahead to, by then, what will be Everton at home. While you're here, please get in touch with us. Please contact us on Twitter at Plus Dave Podcast. And you know what? While you're there, give us an email as well, because Socks is waiting patiently by the inbox for your thoughts and uh, comments. That is plusdavepodcast <laughs> at gmail.com if you'd like us to answer any questions <laughs> or just, just bring up any kind of topics for us to discuss. And we will be delighted to get into all of that guys before i let these lovely listeners go do you have any closing thoughts what are your feelings at this time as a spurs fan socks please don't hate us callum please don't hate us newcastle <laughs> just go about your day people Find another instead. yeah we mean no ill will towards you we mean no ill will <laughs> have a lovely day i wish you the best for the rest of the season <laughs> yeah yeah up the saudis uh dave <laughs> um season's greetings to all i love december there's you so much four football. games until it's that great. dave yeah it's, it's great there's so much football it's it's wonderful. I feel like it's a bit weird that today there is there is there any football? Am I missing football right now? Is the somewhere no, the no. football? I think no, they're not. But tomorrow, Leeds are back on, so it's all gravy. It's like the World Cup where you have that first day where there's no match, this, and you're like, "What a, do yeah, I that, do with myself?" Rest, yeah. rest yeah. day. The professional footballers they should be playing every day for my amusement. Thank you. I could not agree more. And on that note, I will end this podcast. Listeners, thank you for joining us once again. Hope you join us next week where Elio will hopefully be rejoining our team and we will be looking back on a triumphant 8-0 victory, calling it now against Nottingham Forest. I've just cursed us, haven't I? Take care, everyone. (laughs) We will see you next time. Stay classy and we'll catch you in a bit.